Okay, everybody, welcome back. Today is September 7th, 2020. We're into uh, episode 15 of the PhD podcast. We have our 15th uh, PhD student join us today. I'm Jason Avedesian. And I'm Harjeev Singh. So we have a special guest today uh, from across the pond at Leeds Beckett, Mike Hopkinson. Uh, he's in his final year of his PhD at Leeds. He's got a pretty interesting uh, story into what he's uh, done currently and what he's doing right now. Mike, thanks for joining us today. Really appreciate it. No, thank you very much for having me. Yeah. Mike, so kind of what we do first uh, when we have new guests on just for, because we've had a wide, a really wide variety of uh, PhD students from, you know, the related fields, of, related fields of human movement science. So Mike, if you just wouldn't mind giving a little uh, brief background intro on yourself and what you've done previously and what you're doing currently. Yeah, sure. So um, I'm from Manchester, originally in the UK. Um, I did my undergrad at Northumbria, which is just north of Manchester, um, and then postgrad in sport and uh, clinical biomechanics at Liverpool John Moores. Um, and then from then, I've been uh, doing my PhD, um, and I'm also in a lecturing job now at Leeds Beckett University. Um, been doing that, as she says, my final year, so my fa- fifth year of doing my PhD now, so hopefully the last one. Uh, <laughs> before that, I was um, and I did some work as an S and C coach at Bradford Bulls Rugby Club, um, and I'm also now currently working as a performance analyst, um, being on national team in a sport called korfball. Um, I'm sure most of you probably have no idea what that is, but it's uh, it's a fun sport. So have a look when you <laughs> finish this. <laughs> so so Mike does his research. He he was giving us a little educational piece on the difference between. Uh, rugby league and rugby union before uh, before we went live on this on this episode, and one of the things that we have our our guests do for for each episode is to share a research article that's been influential to their uh, current research focus during their PhD. And Mike shared an article um, from Berger et al. that was mechanisms and factors associated with tackle related injuries in South African youth rugby union players. So, Mike, if you wouldn't mind just uh, sharing a little bit about this article, what was, you know, kind of in it and how it's influenced your current work. Or if you, or if you wouldn't mind giving, I guess, the viewers just a little bit of uh, um, a little bit of description on like rugby union, rugby league first, if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, sure. So uh, the, pa- the papers in rugby union, essentially, uh, most people have probably seen rugby union, but the, uh, the, the difference between rugby union league is essentially... Um, when a player gets tackled in rugby union, they usually form what they call a rook, which is essentially a competition for the ball. Now, it's extremely complex and they actually change the rules all the time. They've recently just changed it again in rugby union. I won't go into that, but essentially it's a competition to win the ball. So obviously it's an attacking size to keep it and recycle and try and score again. Um, as a defensive size to try and win the ball back. Um, in rugby league, they don't have that. Essentially, when a player gets tackled um, in rugby league, um, the attacking side are allowed to get up and then play the ball, as they call it, which is essentially putting the ball on the foot and roll it over. Uh, And you get six tackles to do that. Um, On the fifth, it's usually kicked because they want to get as much territory as possible. But sometimes if it's near the try and they'll kick the ball in the air or they'll just try and play to try and score again. If they lose it, they lose it. It's not the end of the world. Uh, That's the difference between the two, essentially. Um, In terms of my... Um, the article itself, so that's in Rugby Union. Berger, what he what he attempted to do is he he um, uh, collected data at the it's called the Craven Week, and essentially it's kind of a unique tournament in South Africa with youth players. 
um, that goes on for, for two or three weeks. And essentially, it's a, an intense tournament where they could play up to like maybe three games per week, which is quite a lot in, in mm-hmm. rugby. Um, and they, what he tried to do is understand the mechanisms that cause injuries and in tackles. Um, so essentially, what he did is he, he would code certain tackles that cause injuries um, and then code tackles that did not cause injuries um, and essentially try and see which particular variables that he's looked at uh, had the potential to cause an injury or more likely to cause that injury. Um, the reason why I chose this particular article is because in uh, essentially it's not been done in rugby league yet in any shape or form um, properly in this type of research. Um, so what I did is I essentially had data from the elite rugby league group and I did the same kind of thing. I applied the same uh, particular methodologies. So that's why I chose this paper. That's interesting. And you, like you mentioned, yeah, three – is it matches? Is it called matches? Yeah, matches. Yeah. That is that is a lot for 18-year-olds or under 18-year-olds. That's oh, – yeah. That's, uh, yeah, that's a lot. I can under, yeah, I could understand why this would be a really interesting uh, little bubble to uh, have a study for, like a two-week tournament where these players are, you know, at high-impact loads for – you know, yeah. multiple times a week would be a really, int- this is a r- really interesting study. And we're going to, sh- we're going to, as always, we share this in the, in the show notes so people can take a look at it. You know, it's, uh, it kind of reminds me of the U S system as well. Jason and I know like there's tournaments every, you know, whatever, well, not now, but it used to be, <laughs> right. um, where, you know, we play even like three, four full basketball games or, you know, even five to six full volleyball matches just in like a weekend. Yeah. Um, in terms of youth, like even like at the high school level, which is it's pretty dangerous. So um, yeah. it's, it's just not the same impact, though. Like those sports yeah. are considered like lesser contact, whereas yeah, but, yeah, I could just imagine, right? Like right, how, that's what how I'm worse yeah, how worse off it is yeah. in terms of in playing, in playing rugby. Yeah, so. I mean, I'm not sure how long the games were, but I, it's, they're obviously going to be pretty long, long, long enough to cause any particular issue. Yeah. Right. Anyway, so but they might not be a full. Full eighty minutes, like a normal rugby union game. So, um, so Mike, this this article mentioned that uh, most tackler injuries were to the head and neck, uh, and most ball carry injuries were to the lower limb. Uh, what do you think some strategies are to uh, to teach these safe tackling techniques and rugby players to minimize injury risk to both the tackler and the ball carrier? Um, well, I think I have to go off research. So, like. Nick was part of a group in South Africa, a research group at Cape Town with um, one of my advisors, Sharif Hendricks. And he's done a lot of really cool research in this area, looking at like essentially which particular like tackle proficiency points are the most important for potentially reducing, well, causing an injury and therefore understanding how to reduce it. So I, as a tackler, like what was found in these like studies is actually like, um, the first point you're probably looking at like a pre-contact is like how how you approach that. So in approaching a tackle, it was important that players should look to decelerate slightly before the tackle's done so it's not going at high butt. And that's mainly so that therefore they can approach in the right way and therefore actually, you know, get the head on the right side of the body and make sure they're not making contact with the shoulder, with their own head, things like that. So it's about like head placement from then on. Um, it's like, it's quite, it's quite interesting though. Like when I was looking at this, cause, and this is the way I've done my research is they kind of split their variables into different kind of, um, parts of the tackle. So they have like a pre-contact contact, post-contact, and then maybe some other bits. And like, you can see down the list of like what things that may they found important. You can see it almost like connects in like a chain. 
So like, you know, when you talk about complex movements, they're all linked in chains. Like the first initial like point of uh, what they found important probably affects the second one and therefore the third one and therefore all three or four of those things are important. Um, so like, yeah, as I said, that they found like deceleration is important, um, head placement is important, and then actually where you kind of place your arms as well. So if you've watched Rugby Union, they, that one of the things that they brought in now is like, are you actually trying to wrap the arms and they call it hit and stick? Mm-hmm. Uh, so like that's also really important and that's probably also due to where you place your head. So if you don't put your head in the right position, you can't place your arms in the right position. So if therefore those aren't, you're more likely to cause an injury. And then if you're thinking about a lot of other people like don't really consider what the ball carrier does. The ball carrier, in my opinion, is just as important as the tackler, but it's harder to control that, isn't it? Because you can't always put limitations on what a ball carrier does. Um, it's kind of one of the things that they suggested is like a ball carrier should try and shift the ball away to, from contact. So therefore the tackler has something to aim for. So if someone's trying to tap my left side, I try and put the ball onto my right. So therefore the actual tackler can make contact with the right points. It's a lot harder if you have your arm tucked in um, to actually make contact with that. Um, they also think about straight back, which is kind of, yeah, it makes sense at the same time. Head facing forward, which I found really interesting as well. Um, so actually... Say, for, for example, a, a tackle is actually coming from uh, a side on position to make a tackle. They're suggesting that if you don't have your head, uh, sorry, the ball carrier doesn't have their head facing straight forward, they're more likely to get injured. I found that quite interesting. Yeah. Um, and the final one, which I think really relates um, probably to what, so it's, I'm talking about more rugby union here just based off what Sharif's done. Um, but it also relates really well to what I've done and like my findings was, when someone gets tackled is actually going to ground. I know that sounds silly, but sometimes if you're like almost trying to keep going forward and you're refusing to go to the floor, you're more likely to get injured. It's probably because the tackle is more likely to do an extreme movement to get you to the floor. Um, I found that really interesting. And that was what... uh, That's super interesting. Yeah. It's, it's, It's interesting because I look at it from like, you just mentioned Mike, that point of like falling to the ground. It's something like, I know when I've done um, training with like adolescent athletes, like we've taught people how to roll to the ground and things like that. So if they're going for like a, like a jump landing type of maneuver and they're about to land in like an awkward, because we have them roll over their shoulder and so that they're landing safer. And it's interesting that you mentioned that because that happens in like American football too. Well, you'll, you'll see these ball carriers stay up and into the, stay up into the, upright and then you'll see the the tacklers come in almost like you use like a wrestling move to just bring them down and they're often really like violent and usually they're penalized but at the same time it's like you know i could seriously injure a ball carrier mm-hmm. mike a question that i had for you and i didn't put this under the under the show notes but you just brought up an interesting point that i thought of is do they have like in the in the states they have usa football and like a heads up tackling program do they have similar type of like governing body things that give out like information related to like best practices for this kind of stuff uh yeah so i mean this is mainly again it's south african rugby but they have like the box safety tackling program which i think the cape town research group are really i don't think i can't remember the exact name for it but it's basically that um Mm -hmm. and they essentially will kind of inform the governing bodies about the latest research and therefore that would affect how the coaches and players should be aware of how to tackle and things like that as they go forward um I think there is one in the UK as well. Again, I can't quite remember the name of it, but I think they work quite closely in tandem. And obviously World Rugby, um, they, they do a lot of research as well, which then informs kind of everyone as a whole. Um, 
And yeah, I mean, some of the some of the research is really, really, really good, and it's essentially yeah. formed how they play the game now. Right, just like informing best practices so that when you start in rugby at uh, you know a young age, that they're starting to learn proper technique. I mean, I think so, that's some of the biggest problems with. I know it's an issue in like American football where you don't necessarily have the coaches who are the most versed on like best practices for like tackling and just football safety in general. And you'll have these kids, you know, they're not developing proper technique, you know, from a young age, they don't even get really taught it until maybe they're 14, 15, 16 years old. Well, they've, they've developed these patterns and these habits for a whole youth football career. And I think that's one of been one of the biggest issues with like American football is that you'll have these kids now going into a high level of college or even professional and no one ever taught them to tackle properly. Yeah. And I think, yeah. is, that, is there an issue with that in like rugby as well, Mike, or is it generally a little bit better? Do you think? I think, it, I think it probably is a bit better, but you brought that up and it kind of reminded me, it's like quite a lot of players tend to, well, no, they don't tend to happen as much anymore, probably for this reason, but essentially quite a lot of players will go from rugby league to rugby union. And I'd say that is mainly because, you know, if you get really good at rugby union, you'll get a lot of money. If you get really good at rugby league, you'll get a good amount of money, but not, not as much. So you tend to want to go over. And there's right. been a fair few players recently, and even someone like, um, you know, I'd say like Owen Farrell. And if you watch any of rugby league just the other day, he um, essentially closed line the player and got red carded. <laughs> but um, I think people that go from rugby league to rugby union and don't really adapt to kind of a rugby union technique of tackling tend to get found out quite quickly uh-huh. and end up doing something like what Owen Farrell did. And it's because of, again, I mentioned when we were talking before, is like the tackle technique is so different because the strategies are so different in both yeah. sports. And you tend to, in rugby league, want to tackle much higher, again, because you want to get rid of that offload. Um, and in doing that in rugby union, rugby union players tend to, ball carriers tend to dip as they go in. So you're more likely to hit them like in the shoulder, neck, head region, which obviously isn't good. And therefore, you're more likely to have a greater risk. So you tend to get found out a lot more. And it takes a while for them to adapt, I think. Um, it's interesting how the i guess the rules of the game can really alter that it can really have like a trickle down effect into injury rates because as mike mentioned like the whole with the six tackles versus you know almost like a isn't it like more of an unlimited i guess is that the and how that could influence injury rates it's just a it's really interesting how like and that's something that you need to consider with like injuries, like whether it's concussion or in general, is like the rules of the game and the enforcement of those rules have a big trickle down effect into the athletes who are getting injured. Mike, yeah. centering back a little bit to this article by Berger, they mentioned quite a bit that, you know, you alluded to it as well. You know, these athletes are playing up to three matches in a single week. This idea of fatigue and a lack of awareness for, you know, potential mechanisms for, uh, increased injury risk and kind of like a two-part question for you Mike is one could the lack of awareness be related to the effects of like the fatigue and if so how could someone a coach or a practitioner potentially go about implementing this sort of in training to reduce uh, you know tackle related injuries yeah I mean it's an interesting question because when I was trying to think about the answer for this one, I was, I was thinking about some other research that it doesn't contradict it, but it makes you kind of double think about how they found what they found. So I, uh, some research that came out a bit later from uh, Greg Turney, um, he did some work along the lines of looking at, again, this tackle proficiency model. And like the idea is that you would essentially assess a tackle through a set of criteria 
And every time that criteria occurred, you'd give it a point. And looking at the difference between the score and these criteria for each quarter of a game, and they actually found that there was no difference between any of the quarters. So in the sense of just of that particular tackle proficiency criteria, there's no difference between the first quarter and the last quarter. And you would think if there was, if that's the proficiency criteria we need to get to, fatigue should affect that because that's what, what other research has found is that fatigue actually does affect this proficiency. So like the conclusion of that paper was um, the, essentially they're not really reaching that upper limit. Mm-hmm. So therefore, is fatigue actually a real element? And it, it kind of gets you thinking about it. And like what I would say is, first of all, the population is different. So the one that Greg Turney did was elite rugby union. So you can maybe conclude that in elite rugby union, they do not reach that upper limit. But maybe in youth, they possibly do. And especially in that type of tournament where there's potentially such an intense, maybe if it's half an hour games, very, very intense. Maybe they played some oh, yeah, yeah. or drop. Um, it, it could be. And then I suppose if it is, and fatigue is, is a problem, then it, it is really hard to answer because even at this craving weeks, they want to win and they probably need to pay their, play their best players all the time. And it's like that balance between performance and injury, which everyone needs to try and manage somehow. Right. Um, so I, but if, if I was to say the combating in training, I think it's about actually training like the actual environment that they need to be exposed to. So if we're thinking about, okay, maybe there's a reduction in proficiency because of fatigue, they need to continuously train under fatigue doing that particular skill. Um, and But then again, it's like, you want, if you train that, then they go and play a match next week, they're fatigued because they've been so intensely trained and trained. So there's always that balance. Um, I think it's a really hard one to get, especially at youth level. Um, and yeah, I suppose I think, it, yeah, you probably, it probably is something that they need to, consider in terms of training and fatigue um, to therefore kind of psychologically deal with it as well. I have a question for you, Mike. So in, in American football, how they do it at, at all levels, basically, is they have a limit on the terms of like contact practices that they can have. Do, is, that, is there something similar to that in, in rugby? Do they have those kind of limits or is it kind of just... Uh, I as far as I'm aware, no. But what I would say is because is, is, it's a very unique time now. Um, the rugby in England, the rugby union season has essentially kind of been squashed. So like, obviously it would normally run to a, a period of around, I think it's July, it normally finishes on June. Mm-hmm. But because obviously of COVID, they've had to stop that and then squash it from between essentially last month until I think it's September, end of this month, maybe, yeah. November, October, November. Um, so like essentially they're playing maybe two or three games in a couple of weeks, a week and a half which is just ridiculous for, for elite rugby, rugby league. And I think that they are having to try and manage it a bit better where they have a certain amount of minutes per player in that period of time. Oh, I, I think that's the way they've done it. I don't know exactly what it is, but like it may also be a case that maybe they need to look at how many contacts a player is doing per game. And, and maybe they do do that. And it might just be um, like a club thing where they go, this is the level we think that mm-hmm. my, this player can reach to. And then when that's done, he's off and that's it. Yeah. Like a threshold, like an impact threshold. Yeah, that's interesting with the whole monitoring in real time and the decisions you have to make from that. So, because you know, the athletes want to keep playing regardless of how many shots they've taken. But as a sports scientist and a researcher, you're like, eh, you know, you, you know, that's a that's an interesting that's an interesting conversation to have for sure. Yeah, exactly. You want you want your best players playing, don't you? If it, especially if it's coming towards the end of the season, you don't want to take your star kind of forward right. off, bring on a youth player, and then you lose the game. 
but you might have saved him an injury. Right. Kind of yeah. It's a difficult conversation to have for sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Mike, you, um, <clears throat> you hit on this a little bit. Uh, and I think me and Jason would, uh, would concur here is that we often talk about injury prevention strategies and they're, they're oftentimes really isolated from the environment uh, that they're supposed to be sort of performed in uh, or those sort of movement strategies. Um, now, do you think injury prevention needs to shift more towards like, uh, I guess, representational design um, so that you're performing such exercises within the context of your sports, so rugby in this case? Yeah, I definitely do. I mean, what I would say is I think that the top kind of S&C coaches or the top skill coaches do that. Um, but like, we're probably talk talking like maybe one, two percent of all coaches probably do it at the top levels. Um because they kind of go off research, don't they? And look at that. But I mean, the thing that I would say that needs to be managed even more than that in terms of like, is as I kind of put out is like, like um, kind of management of players generally in terms of games. But I think that's so important and something probably really far behind and not because we don't know it because in performance is so important. Like if you've got such a huge gap between kind of the first team and then the substitutes you want to play your first team all the time don't you, right. you want to... so it's like I think that even not even really thinking of like the injury kind of prevention strategies is almost kind of management of players so making sure that they actually you know aren't going above that upper limit um, but yeah I mean it's I, I do feel like in terms yeah in terms of actual strategy it is important that it represents the game as a whole and not just like the movement, but like how often that movement's done, the intensity yeah. of that movement as well. Um, but again, sometimes that's quite hard to do, especially in season. So it's almost like you need to have your player ready at the start of the season, pray for no injuries, pray for no anything else. And then hopefully the season kind of rides out that you don't end up going to a pattern of, no, I need to really intensely train this player now. And then you've intensely trained and put into a game and then realize that the load was too much because you're intensely training too early. Right. Yeah. It just becomes a cycle then, doesn't it? So it's almost like yeah. a lot of injury prevention is luck as well. So. No, it, it definitely is. I mean, being in an environment where I spent some time with uh, an American baseball and, you know, they have 162 game season and it's just at that point, you're just, you're just trying to keep them healthy. Like the entire season, like you're doing what you can to monitor and, and track. And, but it's, it's just like, you know what, they're playing five games in six days. Like, and like, we're just, we're just trying to do our best to keep the, and like the NBA too, and basketball yeah. and things like that, where they play like three games in five days and they're traveling to different cities with youths too. Like if they're playing that many games in a, or that many matches in a week, it's like, you're just trying to do everything they you can just to manage just to make sure that they, you know, stay fit and that they're ready to go onto the field. Yeah. My question I had for you, cause I know that this, this study was done over like a two week period. Would we say, would you, we expect to see similar like mechanisms and factors over like a full length season? Would we see potentially more tackle related injuries towards the end of the season compared to the beginning of the season or what's sort of the relationship out there? If there is any. Yeah, so again, it's, it's a difficult question just because this particular study, as I said, was the Craven Week. It's a very unique tournament. Mm -hmm. But like just talking about a whole season, I think like you are more like, not necessarily more likely to see more tackle-related injuries at the end of a season. You're more likely to see them at the intense periods of particular parts of season because sometimes there, especially with like cup competitions, traveling, all that kind of stuff, extra training, all that kind of things like that, 
Um, you are more allowed to see the injuries at that particular point. I think it was in rugby league, um, in in the English um, league, that most injury, the mo- more often the injury was in around February, which is like a really intense part of the season. So like, it usually starts around November, December time and finishes around March, April. Mm-hmm. So like around that time is like super intense and that's where you see a lot of those injuries. Um, but it's quite hard to, to translate those particular yeah. Um, findings that just because of the uniqueness of the tournament. That makes sense because, you know, my research is comes from Mike and I were having this discussion about like concussion and musculoskeletal injuries, but where you tend to see the most concussive related injuries are in competition compared to practice. And they speculate because of that, it's intensity. You know, guys are, you know, we try to push these guys in practice, but at the end of the day, when the lights are on and they're competing for a championship or a title, yeah, it's going to be a lot more intense and then we're probably going to see a lot more injuries. So I think Mike makes a great point that it's not necessarily where you are in the season length necessarily, but it's the intensity or it's the, the competition, whether it's like a rivalry or whatever, or it's like, you know, you're in the, you know, you're competing for a championship. It's that intensity level and kind of the conversation that we had with Harjeev even some of the points that he brought up was the design of practice too. you know, the mm-hmm. best way to, if we can represent that, you know, in practice, that intensity level, it's, it's difficult. It's difficult. It's a difficult way to design it. You know, you have to manage fatigue and, and loading and all that. It's just hard. Injuries are really hard to deal. And like Mike said, like a lot of it comes down to luck. Like we can be, we can have the smartest team in a room and we know exactly what we need to do from a scientific standpoint, but you know what? This athlete could still yeah. suffer an injury. It's, it's, a, just, it's, a, it's above it's our pay grades. So. You get some you get some teams that will spend millions and millions and millions of pounds on injury prevention and have the worst record of injury prevention in the league. And you'll have some people that will spend hardly anything and they'll be all right. And it's just because they're just there's just so many variables that yeah. and most of them we can't even possibly not count for. It's just it's, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think there's kind of been a push, at least in like the sports science side of things, to get away from the whole like predicting and preventing yeah. injuries just because like if you really think about it, like I just think about like an ACL injury and like how many factors can possibly go into an athlete tearing an ACL. It's impossible. It literally is impossible to account for every factor. Yeah. So it's just, it's just interesting. Mike kind of just to center things back. Uh, I know we get it. Sometimes I get a little off topic with some of this <laughs> stuff, but it, it excites me. It's interesting to learn from different people's perspectives, but um, Mike kind of as a wrap up, if you wouldn't mind just sharing your specific research dissertation that you're, that you're working on right now and kind of if you've had any preliminary findings and what you're, um, you know, planning to do for this, the final year of your degree. Yeah. So my, my, my last study that I've literally just finished and is uh, currently like under review at the moment, um, essentially is trying to, it's kind of a based on what Berger did, but it probably a bit more, essentially kind of trying to go a step further. So essentially I have a similar thing where I've got injuries um, throughout a season of players in the elite rugby league. Um, I've then found the, the tackle from a tackle, sorry. And then essentially I've uh, analyzed them through video using a set of variables that we, we determined in a previous study. Um, and I've then um, got non-injury tackles as well, um, kind of essentially controls and mm-hmm. then them. And essentially I put them into a random forest um, analysis and so essentially try to understand uh, which particular variables are important for classifying injuries so like essentially you can put them into that particular model and it will tell you which variables um, mm-hmm. are more important to actually be able to tell you which are, wh- what's more likely to cause an injury 
And from that, we found that essentially, actually, it's quite complex. And some variables came up, but they were found not to be, they were found to be important, but not in terms of like the actual score of importance. But then one of them that came up was this um, twisting, um, twisting of the knee, um, trying to bring the ball character to ground using the body weight. So if you think, as I said before, like you don't go to ground, a uh, oh, yeah. more likely to do something extreme. And just watching the video, you can see it's from this kind of twisting motion. And it's usually, I need to bring this guy to ground because he's going too far. I'm turning him over and his knee going when his leg's been planted in the ground. That was found to be really important for these particular groups. Um, but also what was really important from the random forest model is actually it looks at how well it can predict or classify an injury um, using that particular data. And in that, it actually found that it was around a 50% chance of actually being able to predict it. And like when we first thought that, we thought, oh, well, maybe actually the random forest model isn't very good. But then we also thought, actually, no, it's probably because the tackle is really complex yeah. and injuries happen in so many different ways yeah. that actually maybe it's really hard to predict, especially when we actually don't just have one injury in there. So like if you put into a model a concussion injury and an ACL injury, it's possible and more likely that there are going to be different mechanisms, especially if you put loads of different ones in there anyway. Um, so it was really interesting when looking at that. And I suppose that was the, probably the second big takeaway from it is actually the tackle is so complex. Um, yeah. It's not easily going to be understandable through a prediction model. Um, but like going on to like what I'm doing next is actually looking around collision density. So like we, we spoke about the fatigue element and looking at that, I essentially got loads of different data from this, this, this group. And I looked at how many tackles a player had completed before he got injured. And looking at that, I was really kind of surprised because I think it was around 20% of the whole sample performed less than five tackles before getting injured. And I was kind of surprised by that considering a lot of the research is saying, oh, fatigue is a huge element of this and they've been playing 80 minutes and they're, you know, they're dying. And that's why they got injured. And actually looking at it, I was going, that was the largest chunk as well in a five-minute period, at five tackle, like five tackles. Um, a large, largest chunk by a mile. So I was thinking, how can that possibly be then? But it could be still be fatigue. And I do think it's this intensity period. So if you've come on as a substitute, made five tackles in one minute, you're absolutely like gone. And then you make one more tackle and then you get injured oh, because yeah. of that. So that's yeah. one thing and it could be. So like what we essentially did was try to design a study to look at that. And like, that's what I'm currently doing at the moment. Um, but we're just trying to come up with a a robust statistical analysis to do that can work with the type of data I've got, um, which is proven to be a bit challenging, but we're getting there now. So it's really interesting. Cause there's always like a back and forth though. Cause I come from like an ACL injury background when I first got started in, in graduate school. And you'll have some people on this continuum who say, you know, ACL injuries associated with fatigue. Then you have some people on the way other side that, you know, fatigue is not any sort of relationship with ACL injury. It kind of sounds like that's kind of a similar question you've been asking yourself too with your dissertation work is, you know, is tackle related injuries related to fatigue, but then I see only five tackles and, you know, it's, it's just hard. It's just, I think the biggest takeaway <laughs> from the conversation with, with Mike in this episode is that when you try to actually figure out like mechanistically what's happening in an injury, whether it's, you know, a non-contact ACL injury or it's a tackle related like shoulder injury or a head injury. Like it's really complex. Like it's just, it, it takes, it takes a lot of manpower to be able to like really sit down and think about, okay, why is someone actually getting injured? Like, yeah. it's just, 
it's it really it, those are kind of questions that like keep me up at night like i think about this kind of stuff like why wh- like what is an acl injury at the end of the day or what is like a shoulder or a head injury it's just it's really interesting yeah it is harjeev any any uh concluding thoughts from mike about about this article i think i think your stuff gets in there a little bit too with like yeah. and and things like that you know i think that's the I think that's where everything's headed in the direction of, okay, how does injury prevention relate to skill acquisition or motor learning? And that's a, it's a fairly new, I think, um, uh, field that people are trying to just combine. I think the thought process <clears throat> has been there for a while. I mean, you know, why wouldn't you want to do injury prevention in a representational design? It doesn't, I mean, it doesn't make sense to isolate it. Right. Um, but when people isolate it, they have pretty good, uh, reasons to do so right it's more focused whatever it may be right more so feasible. now as yeah and so now as we and that's how people are taught right how are physiotherapists taught at the end of the day it's very sort of you know nice. isolated so but i think now as we move on and progress it's exciting that you know uh, like you said you know even the, we always thought fatigue was an issue but you know it may not be an issue because there's you know there's also acl studies that say that fatigue is maybe not an issue um and so the direction I think we're going in is the right direction. And I think, um, you know, combined with our total, our, our research that we're doing is in that direction. And so, I don't know, it's exciting, man. I think, uh, I think the future is bright for what we're doing. And it, it, like, like Jason said, so what keeps Jason and I live together. So we know what keeps us up at night. <laughs> so, yeah. I think, well, I think that, I think the biggest thing is like, you have people like Mike, like asking these type of questions now. Yeah. Like before we didn't even know, right? Like 10, 15 years ago, we probably didn't even know what, you know, like I always go back to like the ACL stuff. Like we didn't even know the mechanisms for an ACL injury like 20 years ago. Yeah. And now at least we have those mechanisms. Like we probably didn't know the mechanisms for tackle related injuries 20 years ago, potentially. And now like with Mike doing his research and other researchers, like now we know, oh, potentially now a bulk here staying upright now is associated with higher risk. So at least we're asking the right questions. We're getting there. It's going to be, it's obviously it's slow, but at least we're asking those good questions. Mike, just kind of a, a, a final kind of wrap up thing. This is something we ask every guest, uh, you know, based on your experiences and the research that you're doing right now, what's a practical takeaway that someone can take from, from your work? Um, I thought this was the hardest question to be asked when uh, <laughs> Um, this is one of those, as we said before, was like, there's so many, there's so much complexity. How can I give a practitioner some advice? But I mean, I suppose like what I would say is, especially from my previous research is looking at around this, um, kind of the main finding from that study was obviously, um, looking at kind of this twisting of the knee problem. So if I was to say to a practitioner, if I was trying to get them to, if they had lots of injuries around this type of mechanism, it would be that the ball carrier needs to go to ground a bit earlier. Um, although a practitioner would probably look at me and go, well, no, because I want to get as many yards as possible before they get to the, they drop to the floor. But what would you rather have? Would you rather just lose a couple of yards and have your player play in the rest of the game or have a, yeah, get a bit further, but then your player's injured for six weeks yeah. or something like that. Yeah, it's, it's, um, Risk and reward. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I do I do feel like, and this is not all not all practitioners, but there is kind of like they want to win at all costs. And sometimes injury prevention is on the bench in a sense, like they're not as fussed. Um so yeah, it, it's a difficult one in terms of like, would I want to say that to a practitioner? Because I don't think they would do it. <laughs> I don't think they would uh, take my advice. But um, on the other side of it is 
I'd say that just a quick takeaway as well is that um, a tackle is extremely complex in rugby union and rugby league. And I would say that to best avoid an injury, look after the kind of pre-contact elements first. Because when you look after those pre-contact elements, it's a lot easier to look after the, the contact and post-contact stuff because you put yourself in the right position to do that. And that's kind of what the research is leading to at the moment. More of like the, like the preparatory actions of yeah, like accepting a contact? Yeah, getting in the right position early, slowing down perhaps a bit to do that, therefore getting your head on the right side, therefore putting your arms in the right place, and therefore everything else should be much easier. But easier said than done when you've got, you know, ridiculous size memory and that you're ridiculously fast in a, in a, in a very high intense game. So. Yeah. In, yeah. Injury prevention. Good luck solving it. I think that's, <laughs> that's, the, big, that's the biggest takeaway. Mike, uh, before we let you go here, where's, uh, if someone wanted to reach out to you, what's the best way to get a hold of you, whether like social media, any, any things like that, what's some good ways to get to you? Probably Twitter. Uh, I'm on, I'm pretty active in not essentially posting everything, but I'm on there quite a lot. Um, I think it's hot M Hopkinson five. Um, that's my Twitter handle. So, that would be best or email, which is um, m.hopkinson at leadsbeckett.ac.uk. Great. Yeah, we'll share that in the show notes too. We're also going to share the article uh, that Mike sent over to us. So if anyone who's listening is interested in that, they can take a little bit of deeper dive in there. Mike, we're definitely at the follow. I'm going to definitely have to follow up with you because I'm. that's where I first got interested in some of your work was, you know, re- relating it back to concussion and, and things like that. But we're definitely going to have to follow up with you at some point. Yeah, that'd be great. That'd be awesome. Thank you. Mike, take care. Thanks again for uh, for joining us today. Stay safe and uh, keep us updated. Will do. Cheers. Thank you. Thanks, See ya.